0: I had 30 years of excessive fast food and it destroyed my gut where I couldn't eat legumes. I couldn't eat whole grains without having fold you over crippling abdominal pain. I needed to heal my gut and I was a gastroenterologist. Here's what I did.
1: Welcome to the exam room podcast brought to you by the physician's committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us in more than 130 countries and healthy cities coast to coast in the U.S., Bat Cave, North Carolina, Funk, Nebraska, and Nothing, Arizona, which is actually really something if you get a chance to visit. We appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 29 of season 5, number 328 overall. And Dr. Will Bolsowitz is back with us on the exam room live today because we are going to be focusing on healing your gut. Now, here's the thing. We all get gut issues from time to time, but for millions of us, it can be a daily struggle. Think about this living every single day with heartburn and bloating, diarrhea, constipation, pain, discomfort, even leaky gut. And they've done studies on this. Studies that show that as many as 70 million of us will be battling at least one of these chronic digestive diseases this year alone. So our goal here on The Exam Room Live today is to try to get you some help. We're going to be talking about what you should eat to heal your gut, and what foods you really don't want to be eating, and what can you do to get your gut health back on track. We're going to be learning all about that. Plus, because Dr. B is here making a house call, we're going to be opening up the doctor's mailbag as well, taking questions about the best foods to heal ulcers, and can you get the same probiotic benefit from eating plant foods as you would get from dairy like yogurt or kefir? plus talking fructose and bloating and a lot more. So the man with the healthy gut plan is indeed in the house, best-selling author of Fiber Fueled and soon the Fiber Fueled cookbook as well. Gastroenterologist Dr. Will Bolsewitz is here with me on The Exam Room Live. Dr. B, how you living, my man?
0: I'm great, Chuck. Thanks for having me. A couple quick comments. So, first of all, that statistic that you just cited—70 million people in the U.S. have GI-related issues—that's actually my study. I was one of the authors of that study. It was published in Gastroenterology a few years ago.
1: Congratulations! Yeah. I, I did not know. Yeah. That's that's it's kind great of cool. Man.
0: Sometimes when you, you know, I, I spent a lot of time working very hard, like basically nights and weekends, trying to publish science papers. Um, because uh, I worked full time as a doctor during the day, so there was no time for me to do that during the day. And it's really cool when the fruits of your labor actually come to fruition. And then years later, you're on you know an exam room podcast with your dear friend Chuck Carroll, who is referring to a study and doesn't even realize that it's my name on the study, which is pretty cool. I'm not by the way, that's not casting a stone at you. You are my dear friend. I love you so much. And uh, I just want to also remind everyone, in case you didn't see us last month. I am in the Chuck Carroll Recording Studio. I have actually named my space here, the Chuck Carroll Recording Studio. In honor of you, Chuck, because you came down from Maryland to help me set this space up. And um, now we have better audio, better video, and hopefully a better experience for everyone in the exam room.
1: Oh, it was my pleasure. I just came down for the food. I mean, Charleston has some amazing, amazing plant-based options down there, so I thoroughly enjoyed myself. And I'm glad that you like the studio enough to give it uh, give it a name. So uh, I am humbled with that. And uh, truly, uh, I'm glad that you're you're cool with it. But I'm embarrassed that I did not know that that was your study, man. Like I should have done my homework much better. So my apologies, my friend.
0: Well, I wasn't the first author on the study. There was someone else who was the first author, Ann Peary. But if you take a look at the study and look at like the fourth or fifth author, that's about where you'll find this long Polish last name (laughs) that stands out from the pack. It's not not like a four-letter word here.
1: Well, fourth or fifth on the study, but number one in our hearts. So uh, let's get to the first question of the day. You ready to open up the doctor's mailbag? Let's
0: do it. Let's get to it.
1: All right, let's take a question from Renee. And Renee wrote in and she said, I've been eating fast food at least twice a day for about a decade. And now I feel sick almost every single time that I eat. When I try to eat something healthier though, my stomach hurts even worse. So what foods can I eat to help heal my gut?
0: This is such an easy question for me to answer. And I'm not saying that um, uh, with an excessive level of confidence, but I'm saying that because this is actually the life that I led. So I've I've been there with you, Renee. I had 30 years of excessive fast food and it destroyed my gut where I couldn't eat legumes. I couldn't eat whole grains without having fold you over crippling abdominal pain. I needed to heal my gut. There I was 10 years ago, 50 pounds overweight, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high anxiety, horrible gut health. And I was a gastroenterologist and I didn't even know how to fix my own problem. Here's what I did. I started one step at a time, low and slow. Don't do it all at once. Ramp it up slowly over the course of time. You got time on your side. This is not about something that changes in 30 days. This is about making choices that you can sustain and do consistently for the rest of your life. And as a result, have a long and healthy life that follows that. So, what I did is I dropped the fast food. I still wanted convenience but I wanted to feel light. I didn't want to have like a food hangover. And so I went home and I started making smoothies. And the beauty of the smoothie is once you got your blender, you just throw stuff in there. Bananas, blueberries, maybe some greens, some broccoli sprouts. I like adding chia seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds, maybe some walnuts. Add some soy milk, hit the button. You got like literally, I just named about eight different plants in there hit the blend button. It does its own work for you. You don't need to be a master chef. And then you just guzzle this down. And what I found was that this is what I think you'll notice, Renee. When I started to shift towards plant-based eating away from the fast food, I noticed instantly a radical difference in terms of my energy levels. They skyrocketed. And I think you're going to find that first. And that's basically just reinforcing and encouraging you that you're on the right track. Your body is telling you that it loves it. It loves the choice that you're making. Keep moving down that path. That's what I did. It did take me years, but I got myself to a place where my gut issues were completely gone. And now here I am writing books about it. Maybe you'll be writing a book someday.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, low and slow. Can you define, I mean, you just said three years. I mean, that seems like a really long time, but uh, let's baby step it here. So when you say low and slow, what should be the first thing that somebody uh, does when they're making these changes?
0: You don't need to drag it out, Chuck. You don't need to drag it out. I'm not saying that it's going to take you three years to heal your gut. You may heal your gut in three weeks, sincerely. Sincerely. It really depends on your starting point and how much injury there's been to the gut. And that varies for each individual person. We are unique people. But what I am saying is that don't put too much pressure on yourself. There is no requirement for you to push hard and fast. Um, There is no need for you to actually be in pain or have discomfort as you explore this new type of food. Here's the key point. Your gut, specifically the microbes in your gut are adapted to whatever you have been eating for the last three months. So you need to allow them an opportunity to adapt to a change. Change doesn't necessarily come easy. I remember, Chuck, when I would flip from soccer season to basketball season. And I thought I was in great shape because I was playing soccer like all fall. And then we would flip to basketball season and I would be dogging it. (laughs) I would be breathing so heavy. I couldn't even breathe, right? Because just because you're running, playing soccer, basketball is a different sport. You need to give your body an opportunity to adapt. The same is true with our gut. When we shift our diet, we need to expect that it needs a chance to adapt. So we start low, we go slow. Um, What does that mean? You know, if we're doing a smoothie, that may mean that we start off with an eight ounce smoothie or a 10 ounce smoothie. Explore that. See how you feel. Did it cause pain? Did it cause bloating or any sort of issue? If not, then you know, this is empowering information, you know that you are capable of consuming this particular food in this particular amount. And next time, let's go a little higher. Maybe let's do 12 or 14 ounces. And you continue to move up, you ratchet up, and you allow your body to basically give you the feedback where your body goes, look, look, look. Renee, this is a little bit more than you're capable of doing right now. 18 ounces, too much. But 14 ounces, we're good. 14 ounces were good. So let's do 14 this week. And then maybe next week we'll be at 18 or 20 and you grow, you get stronger.
1: So I think that a lot of people right now might be wondering, well, what are the foods that I should be starting with? And I, I, I hate to take this reductionist view of things, um, but are there a few that you could rattle off really quickly that might be, uh, I guess, on the milder side to get somebody going to heal everything that's going on down there?
0: Well, this is, this is where rather than saying specific foods, I kind of feel like what we do is we, we focus on almost pre digested foods. So this is where I like things like smoothies and I like soups, right? Because that slow cooking of the soup helps to break things down, make it softer, make it more gentle. I don't think now is the time, like regardless of what food we're even talking about, I don't think now is the time to be like going raw vegan right? Because that's just a little too harsh. It's a little too harsh to ask your gut to basically adapt to that. You're asking your gut to do even more heavy lifting. So my, my, my thought is let's move towards things that are a little bit more gentle. Um, I would say be cautious with things like garlic and onions. Um, when it comes to legumes go very mild on the legumes and don't overdo it on any one particular fruit
1: on any one particular fruit. Is that just because of the, the
0: acid or the sugar content there? It's more of the FODMAP content. So really what I'm going for here is going towards a lower FODMAP diet. So there's, there's certain amounts of particular fruits that we can all tolerate. But if you go too hard on any particular fruit, so like for example, blueberries, you may find that you're fully capable of consuming 10 or 20 blueberries at a particular sitting, but you may find that 30 blueberries is too much. And so this is where you just have to kind of find what that threshold is that works for you.
1: All right, let's take a question here from Anita. She's wondering specifically about helping uh, heal the gut when she has an ulcer. So what foods should she be looking at there?
0: Well, first of all, let's start by defining what are the top causes of an ulcer. So when we talk about an ulcer, this is me coming at it from a doctor's perspective as a gastroenterologist and being the guy who diagnoses these things. So I I, I would diagnose ulcers on an upper endoscopy where we use a flexible... you, You don't, by the way, necessarily need to do this, but... I'm just describing, you know, sort of the experience on my side as a doctor. We would do an upper endoscopy, go down with a flexible tube that has a light and a camera and go down into the stomach. We could take a look in the stomach, we could take a look at the first part of the small intestine which is called the duodenum. And this is these are the places that you will find ulcers in the stomach or in the first part of the small intestine called the duodenum. And if we look at what are the top causes of ulcers, people often think it's like stomach acid or it's stress. And actually the history behind that is quite fascinating, Chuck. Um, the idea that stress causes ulcers really came from World War II uh, research, where they showed that when London was being bombed, there was a higher incidence of of issues with stomach ulcers. So, um, I do think stress can cause some ulcers, but the top two causes of ulcers are going to be number one, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. So that's ibuprofen, and aspirin, and naproxen, and drugs of that variety. Tylenol is not technically a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. So if you have a chronic pain issue and you need a medication, I would talk to your doctor. This is not me giving medical advice, but I would talk to your doctor about Tylenol. Um, the, The other thing that can cause stomach ulcers are H. pylori. So H. pylori is a bacteria that can exist within our stomach. Most of us in the Western world do not have H. pylori. Uh, H. pylori is very common in East Asia, and it's actually the the cause of the um, uh, stomach cancer epidemic that they have in East Asia. We don't have this problem in the United States, and part of the reason why is because we don't have too much H. pylori, and we don't have the same strain, but here's my point. My point is, if you are using a lot of ibuprofen, you have a stomach ulcer, it doesn't matter what food you eat because you have to withdraw that ibuprofen because it is slamming the lining of your gut. And that's the reason why you have the stomach ulcer. Food is not going to compensate for that. If you have H. pylori, this is something that your doctor could test for. It's a non-invasive test, breath test, or a poop test. That could potentially be treated. And I would treat my patients with antibiotics for H. pylori. Many people go, whoa, Dr. B., antibiotics? You just said antibiotics? Yes, I do. Because H. pylori is something that we should eradicate. It's actually a known carcinogen. Um... But when we get beyond this, like what are the foods? I do think that we want to be cautious about very acidic foods. So it took me five minutes to get to answering your question, Chuck. I apologize. But <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> uh, the, we want to be cautious about acidic foods. And so obviously this means spicy foods. It means citrus foods, things, things of this variety. Not because they're necessarily causing the ulcer, but instead what they're doing is they're contributing to an increased acidity of the stomach. And what we do know is this, with complete clarity, Chuck, with complete clarity, multiple phase three randomized placebo-controlled clinical trials have demonstrated that when we reduce stomach acid, ulcers heal. So we want to reduce the amount of acidity coming from you know vinegars, again, citrus, spicy foods, reduce the acidity to allow our stomach the opportunity to
1: heal. From experience, we'll talk about this on another show. But that ibuprofen, spicy food combo, one hundred percent true, almost killed me. Legitimate, one hundred percent true story. But we'll talk about that in the future. Um, a lot of people, before, Chuck,
0: you, you've alluded to this before, and um, I, and I think it's actually quite important because there are many people. The most drug, the most commonly used drugs in the United States are these non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. So it's not. This is not a casual statement that we're that we're making here. This is a very important one for people to hear.
1: No, uh, When I say, we will get to this on a future episode, but when I say it almost killed me, I'm not joking. Like I was in the hospital for almost a week getting blood transfusions. You told me about Um,
0: it down here. It's terrifying.
1: We will talk about it. It's wild. Um, But back to healing the gut uh, from a more general perspective. A lot of times people think about, well, I got to heal the gut. I got to get the microbiome in check. And the best way to do that is with probiotics. So let's take a question from Justine. I actually think this is an interesting one. Can you get the same probiotic benefits as yogurt and kefir from plant-based foods?
0: Absolutely. An absolute and resounding, easy slam dunk. I'm tomahawking it like Michael Jordan. Yes. (laughs) Okay. And here's, and here's the reason why. Let's let's break this down. There are benefits to fermented foods. And when we say fermented foods, we have to acknowledge the existence of dairy, like fermented dairy. It does exist. They are fermented foods like yogurt and kefir. Now, most of the yogurt that's on the market is not truly fermented because fermentation takes time. You have to allow the microbes to slow cook the food. And if you are a uh, on a food business, that makes yogurt, it is way easier for you to just take your yogurt and inject some bacteria in there and call it fermented. That's not fermentation. Um, so nonetheless, what we're trying to accomplish though with fermented foods is to support a healthy balance within our gut microbiome. Part of how we can accomplish that are with the probiotics. Right, the probiotics are living microbes and they may provide a benefit to the community that lives inside of us. But we can also accomplish that with prebiotics. Prebiotics include fiber, resistant starches, and polyphenols. Polyphenols are the antioxidant, anti-inflammatory compounds that you will find in plants that basically are responsible for the colors of the plants. So like when you see red, and you see yellow, and you see a purple, That's what we're talking about, okay? They are actually prebiotic. They are food for our gut microbiome. They help to support and nurture a healthy gut microbiome. When you talk about fermented dairy products, kefir and yogurt, they have probiotics. Check. Do they have fiber? No, no check there. Do they have resistant starches? No, no check there. Do they have polyphenols? No, no check there. Okay, cool. It's something. But hold on. Let's come in with some fermented plants. Now, maybe you're not having them for breakfast. Maybe you are. Maybe they're going on top of some avocado toast. It could be delicious. But let's pretend that it's sauerkraut or some other fermented plant, right? Miso or tempeh. Do they have probiotics? Check. Yes. Do they have fiber? Check. Yes. Do they have resistant starches? Maybe. Some of them do. Do they have polyphenols? Check. Yes. Okay, we got three checks at least. Maybe four. Three mm. for four or four for four, as opposed to one for four. Now, which one you taking?
1: I'm swinging for the fences. I want the, I want that all star average, bro. Um, <laughs> you got me thinking though. Sauerkraut on top of avocado toast—that's probably going to be pretty tasty. I know that you're a sauerkraut guy. Is that something that you've tried?
0: All right. The, so there, yes, I have, and it's fantastic. Um, I also love a simple two-ingredient or three-ingredient salad, which is quite simply broccoli sprouts or some other sprout. You could do lentil sprouts, pea sprouts. Sprouts and kraut, two ingredients. That's it. The juice from the kraut almost acts like a dressing. Um, fantastic. You want to add more calories to it and turn it into something that's closer to a meal because sprouts and kraut by themselves are like so low-calorie. It's crazy. You want to make it closer to a meal? Add some walnuts walnuts are good for you good for your brain high in omega-3s healthy fats um so sprouts krauts and walnuts that's like a super simple three ingredient salad that a person could make chuck on avocado toast i could talk about avocado toast all day completely (laughs) obsessed all right here's my health hack or tip this isn't even a health related thing although it is good for you but like you need to put balsamic vinegar on that toast you need, if you have not done this, you need to put balsamic vinegar on that toast and then tag me on social media so that I can celebrate with you.
1: Okay. Balsamic vinegar on the avocado toast. So literally just the toast, the avocado, and then a little bit of the balsamic on top and you've got magic.
0: Well, to me is like, look, man, uh, creating avocado toast is a celebrated tradition within the Bolsowitz household.
1: Is that right? (laughs) Yes, it is.
0: My five-year-old son, I have been training since a young age, like a Spartan. All right. I'm building him up into an avocado toast warrior. And we have increased the complexity. You know, you could start out simple. You can start out simple with avocado and some toast. Okay, cool. Two ingredients. You're done. We have built this up. Now we got like the balsamic, a little bit of olive oil, get the avocado on there. By the way, with the avocado, get the fork out. Use the fork to mash it. it. Makes it super easy to kind of pin it down, make it nice and creamy. And then you could put the kraut on top if you're rolling with the kraut. I like a savory. I like a savory avocado toast. So I'm getting the hot pepper flakes. I'm getting the cayenne. I'm getting some garlic. Sprinkle of the. Um, I'm starting to salivate talking about this. The Meldon <laughs> sea salt. Yo, <laughs> yo, if you don't like that, you don't have taste buds, and that ain't my fault.
1: <laughs> what I know is it's it's lunchtime as soon as this show wraps, man. And that's I'm headed to the kitchen. It's I'm going for it right right then, man.
0: Come on the show. I'm getting hungry talking with you, Chuck. Because we always talk about food. It's not right.
1: How many uh, how many recipes for avocado toast are going to be in the Fiber Fuel Cookbook that comes out Fiber next Foods. month?
0: You are a true health. You are a true professional. You are good at your job. Thank you. There, so um, there are certain recipes, and so the Fiber Fuel Cookbook has 125 recipes. There are two recipe based food protocols. Someone, Renee, asked earlier, um, what should I eat if I'm trying to heal my gut? Well, like literally, I'm giving you 30 low FODMAP recipes. You don't even have to turn your brain on. Here are the recipes. Just cook them and enjoy them. They're delicious. Um, I have 26 low histamine recipes. But there were certain recipes, Chuck, that I brought back from the first book because they were so good, they needed to be there. So (laughs) I now, like Biome Broth was like, people freaked out about Biome Broth. I get tagged on Biome Broth stories on instagram every day so now we have seven versions of biome broth i mean you guys you mess with me you tag me on posts you tell me what you like i'm coming back at you twice as hard like don't mess with me seven <laughs> Biom broth recipes we have uh people like the snickers bites snickers bites are quite simply i'm dropping the recipe knowledge today you take a date you put a sh- we've talked about this many times chuck i know it's like a monthly thing a date a schmear of your favorite nut butter almond butter dark chocolate chips, maybe some sesame seeds. It makes it for a fantastic and reasonably healthy dessert. All right, well, people loved the Snickers bites. Dude, don't mess with me, man. I'll come back twice as hard. We got four recipes for Snickers bites now. And then the avocado toast, I was like, okay, this is a celebrated tradition within the Bulsiewicz household. Everyone deserves to enjoy their own avocado toast tradition within their household. Make it your own. You don't have to copy me if you don't want to. But here are four here are four options of avocado toast in the Fiber Fields Cookbook.
1: Man, and uh, this is the point where I tell the exam roomies that there is a link to pre-order your copy right now in the show description or in the episode. Hey, look, he's holding it up. That's what I'm talking about. There it is. So order your copy. By the way, uh, Chris, who's watching right now over in Germany, tuning in, uh, says that uh, they've already pre-ordered their copy. So thanks, Chris, for that. And also from tuning in uh, all the way in Germany, Natalie also joining us from Germany today. I guess it's just the German kind of a day, man. I think that that's that's great. I love Um, my European family. Yeah. Those are your people. Those are your people, my friend. Um, let's, let's talk about, uh, diversity in the diet. So we know that that's hugely important. You actually talked about it a little bit earlier, important for the gut health. And we know that for all of these other chronic illnesses, super important as well, but we do have a question from an exam roomie right now, who's watching us on YouTube, wondering whether a juice fast is bad for microbiome diversity, even if they're already eating plant-based, I guess, because fewer foods get put in the juice.
0: Well, yeah. So um, I I think that like many topics, Chuck, to paint with like uh, vicious, aggressive, broad strokes is unnecessary when these are often nuanced topics, right? Like let's not just like make it sound like a person's a horrible human being for drinking a juice. That's not true. You're a wonderful human being and I enjoy drinking juice sometimes myself. So the issue with juice relative to a smoothie is that you're removing the fiber. That's the problem is where we live in a society where if I walk out on the street and you and I are walking through Charleston, Chuck, 19 out of 20 people that we will encounter are deficient in fiber, inadequate in their fiber consumption. So when we do things like withdraw the fiber and uh, create a juice, we are in a way throwing out the important part of the food, um, which is an unfortunate thing. Now, here comes the nuance. Um... I do think that there's a place for people who, for people who have a damaged gut where the consumption of, I'm, I'm talking really truly about a bitter juice because a sweet juice basically means you're drinking sugar. So a bitter juice on the flip side means that you have really emphasized the vegetables as opposed to the fruits and you are getting the phytochemicals that come from those vegetables and still some of the fiber, still some of it. I mean, it's not, it's not nothing. So, and I do think that there's a place for this and there are people who suffer with digestive issues or who have diverticulitis uh in the very early days or they have Crohn's disease and they do a more liquid-based diet for a period of I'm talking like hours. I'm not talking about days, I'm talking about hours. They do a liquid-based diet and they notice that they feel good as a result of doing this. And I think that there I have seen many times that there's something to be said for this. We can't dismiss this and pretend it doesn't exist. Now, I don't want people going beyond 24 hours of this so if you're doing like a three-day juice fast then what you're what you're doing is you're reducing your fiber intake too far and you actually are causing your gut microbes to start we actually have research that says that after about 24 hours they will start to actually consume the lining of your intestine and that's not what we want (laughs) We, we don't want to be eaten alive by our own gut microbes that's not a good thing so we prefer to just quite simply feed them and keep them happy (laughs) so that they don't eat us. Um, So this is why I would stick to, you know, less than 24 hours of juice fasting. But if you like the way that you feel with this, I get it. And I ain't mad at you. And sometimes I enjoy a juice myself.
1: We're going to pivot to poop here in just a second, but I wanted to share Roger's comment. Yeah, I know you said I'm when we were to texting that. yesterday, got got to talk about poop. Um, So uh, we got to get this on from Roger. This is comment of the day because it speaks to the old radio guy. Me Joining from Calgary, Canada, long-time listener, first-time vegan. That's way better than long-time listener, first-time caller. Roger, congratulations, man. Thank you. Uh, you win the comment of the day award. That is just Love it, amazing. Roger.
0: So pumped for you. Great choice completely aligned, completely aligned. You are making a selfish choice for your own health, which is fantastic. And you are making a selfless choice for the environment and for the animals, which is also fantastic. It's great. And Chuck, this is one of these moments where I wish we could have Roger call into the call like call into this and like we actually like talk to him live. I wish we could do that someday.
1: Well, it, it, in the future, man, there, there may or may not be a show in the future where you and I take live calls and it will just completely go off the rails every single time we do it, but it will be the most glorious radio in the history of radio. It would be um, All right, Roger. Thank you, my man. Uh, appreciate you tuning in. All right. You ready to talk poop? Of course you That's
0: are. Oh, you know, I'm always ready to talk poop.
1: Come on. All right. April, May, June. I'm not quite sure which month uh, she's referring to here. One out of three. Anyway, question is fasting good for emptying your bowels?
0: Generally not. Um, generally not April, May, June. Uh, it's quite a name if that is your name. (laughs) Um, so the issue is that if you are not emptying your bowels and you, this is the nuance of fiber. So I talk in the new book about the fiber paradox because we got to keep it real. Um, it's not like, Oh, just crank up the fiber to the point of being insane about it. We have to adapt to our fiber intake. And so, One of the things that's the nuance of fiber is that um, if you are not emptying your bowels and you crank up your fiber, you are going to have more gas and bloating. And that gas and bloating will be there until you empty your bowels. So fasting may feel like it's good for emptying your bowels because you're going low fiber, but you're not remedying the actual problem. You're just avoiding the problem. So, and I'm not saying that in any sort of disrespectful way, full mad respect. I love you, April, May, June. Um, But what I'm saying is more so this is the nuance of having an understanding I, I worry about. So I actually am a very big believer in an intuitive approach, but we also have to simultaneously not fully invest into an intuitive approach when we discover those pitfall locations where an intuitive approach gets us into trouble. And this is one of these locations. When you, when you approach fiber intake, if you have a damaged gut or if you are not emptying your bowels, the problem is that you have a damaged gut or you are not emptying your bowels. The problem is not the fiber. And when you increase your fiber, you may have more symptoms as a result of that. And if you're going intuitive, then like I see people who are psychiatrists on the internet trying to give health advice on gut health problems. Who are these psychiatrists? And what training do they have in gut health at all? Like they have none, all right? They are are mood specialists. But like basically what they say is if you have like discomfort when you consume fiber, just eliminate fiber. That's completely absurd. That makes no sense. That's like saying you hurt your knee so you just stop walking forever so that you never feel pain in your knee. Makes zero sense. So the point from my perspective is that when you have a damaged gut or you are not emptying your bowels, we have to heal the gut, we have to get you to empty your bowels. And the amount of fiber that you take may have to be adjusted based upon that. But then you get your place, get yourself to a place where when you remedy the underlying problem, when you actually fix the engine under the hood, then you're able to run on maximum fiber without restriction. Your gut microbes are thriving and you personally are thriving as a result of that.
1: That analogy about not walking was phenomenal. I love it. I love it. I love it. When the science gets broken down into concepts that we can all completely understand straight away. That makes perfect sense to me. Let
0: me, Let me you know, let's, let's put this to the chat room right now. So thank yeah. you to everyone who's here in the chat room. You hurt your knee. You have two choices. Stop walking for the rest of your life. Or I hook you up with a great physical therapist who understands the nuance of healing the knee and they will put you through a repeated set of challenges slowly over time. And with every single challenge, your knee gets stronger until eventually you emerge from those challenges with a knee that is completely free of pain and completely functional and capable of playing whatever sport you want to play. Which choice are you making? Let's go to the chat box, guys. Tell me, are you gonna are you gonna stop walking or are <laughs> you gonna work through the physical therapy and heal that knee?
1: I don't right. I don't even think it's much of a choice, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh let's see here. Uh, they're, boy, they're coming in fast and furious. I can't even keep up with them. I miss my All producer right. well, today.
0: And I think, I think uh, without even looking at it, I'm quite sure knowing the intelligence of this community that people, unless they're literally joking and, and messing with you and I, which they might be because they know that you and I have a sense of humor. Uh, mm-hmm. Aside from that, they probably are telling us that they want to heal their knee, but they recognize that if you were taking an intuitive approach where your entire desire was to not have any pain in your knee, you would actually stop walking. But that doesn't make sense. You wouldn't do that, you have to heal the knee and then you actually eliminate the pain because you're fixing the actual problem, you're not avoiding the problem. And by fixing the actual problem, you then become capable of restoring function to the knee and living not just free of pain, but actually fully capable of doing things that you weren't capable of doing when the knee was injured.
1: It it seems like it's pretty much unanimous. By the way, uh, that uh, everybody's going with the PT today. Uh, you know, nobody's going to be wheelchair bound for the rest of their life. No way. Doesn't seem to make sense. Uh, so as you guys continue to answer that question, also a big favor. Um, if you didn't know, this is also a podcast, and we're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify wherever shows are available. If you haven't already subscribed yet, please go ahead and head over to. Apple, Spotify, wherever. Hit that subscribe button for the exam room podcast by the Physicians Committee. And if you would be so kind to leave a five-star rating, we would greatly appreciate it as well. Uh, I say this on the podcast itself every week. It's We don't ask you just to say, "Oh, we've got new subscribers. We do it because every time we get a new subscriber or a five-star rating, we get bumped up a little bit higher in the podcast rankings. And the higher we climb, literally the easier it becomes for people who truly need this information that we're talking about, who feel like their health is wrecked beyond repair hair, but they they still want to give it a shot it helps us get this information to those individuals so that they can hopefully go on to lead longer and healthier and more productive lives cuz that after all is the exact goal of the exam room um so thank you very much in advance for that uh let's take a question about yeah thank you uh let's go ahead and take a question from Jeff uh Dr B Jeff is wondering whether high fructose fruits can cause bloating he's citing specifically apples and mangoes
0: yeah, definitely. High fructose fruits. High fructose fruits can definitely cause bloating. Um, fructose is first of all not to be vilified. It is a sugar that doesn't make it bad. It is unhealthy when we like do chemical extractions to withdraw the fructose from corn and create high fructose corn syrup, um, or other sort of like unnatural chemical processes to isolate and concentrate the fructose. That's not what we're talking about here. But when you consume fructose as a part of fruit, that fruit is healthy. It's got the fiber. It's got the polyphenols. Um, But it is possible with fructose, or let me continue on and add some additional things. Um, With garlic and onions, they have fructans. Or whole grains, they have fructans. By the way, fructans are different than fructose. Uh, Or legumes have galactans. Or some fruits have what are called sugar alcohols. And all of these things are FODMAPs, and FODMAPs can actually cause injury to—not—they don't cause injury to our gut, but they can cause us to have gas and bloating and symptoms because our gut is struggling to process and unpack these foods. So, with that, if you have a fructose intolerance, basically meaning that fructose causes you to feel uh, this these symptoms, number one, you're in a great spot. Here's why: you've already identified. That this intolerance exists. That's step number one. Understanding the root of your problem is the first step that you have to take. So this is great because you're already empowered with with healing information that you can apply to your personal life. So you take these fruits and you need to train your gut. And training your gut involves reducing the amount of the fruit to a point where you reduce it to where you don't feel pain, you don't have symptoms, and then you consume it. And you are challenging your body to adapt to what you're eating. And with every single time you consume this food, your body is adapting. It is growing stronger. It is becoming more functional, more capable of processing and digesting these fructose-rich foods. And you keep these challenges going. And you escalate them. And you ramp them up. And next thing you know, you are eating two or three apples or a slice of apple pie at Thanksgiving. And you have no restrictions. This is ultimately where you want to go. And everything, by the way, that I'm describing right now, this method that I'm describing really forms the backbone of my new book, The Fiber Fields Cookbook, which is not really a cookbook. I mean, it is. It's 125 recipes, it's full color, but it also has 11 chapters, and you don't even get to recipes until the back end of chapter four. Really, what I'm doing in this book is I'm teaching people what I'm teaching you right now. But I'm just going into far more detail how to heal food intolerances like fructose, like legumes or whole grains or garlic or histamine-rich foods like fermented foods. I teach you
1: how to heal that. Oh, I'm so pumped for that cookbook. I'm so pumped for it. I, the information up front, the information in the back with all the recipes. I want the Snickers recipes. I want the avocado toast recipes. I want whatever you got in there because uh, there's nothing that you've suggested on the show to date that is not absolutely delicious. But you know um, I love food,
0: right? So, I mean, you know I love oh, food. Oh, yeah, so you man. Be good because I just love food so much, so.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, you're not going to put anything in there that you don't adore yourself. I mean, I just can't see you putting that stuff out there without taste testing the heck out of every single recipe, man.
0: Well, I wrote, I wrote the, um, so, uh, first of all, shout out to Alex Casparo. So, so Alex Casparo is a registered dietitian. She's been on the show with you before, I believe Chuck, right?
1: Oh, for sure. She's She's a Wonderful, wonderful human being
0: for plant-based juniors. So she has, she has a book plant-based juniors. And, um, so Alex did the recipes for fiber fields. Fiber field has about 80 recipes and she came back and she did the recipes for the fiber fields cookbook, which again are 125 and they are new. That's not the same recipes. We're not recycling stuff other than the biome broth and the, and the, um, Snickers bites. So, so we have the, these great recipes and literally one of the things about plant-based eating that I love is the food from cultures from around the world that that are not like you know people trying to be plant based? They just are plant based because that's their culture. That's the food they eat. So that's one of the things that I'm excited about. Like tofu banh mi, and we got like Mexican pozole, and we got like Mediterranean food. We got American barbecue. I mean, basically, we're just kind of taking exploration of our entire planet and all the different flavors that are out there. I'm starting to salivate again.
1: I know, man, lunch hour is getting close. So we've got time for two more quick questions. Uh, Let's take one from Spock Rogers. How's that for a name? This is great. Uh, Back to fasting. Does fasting harm the gut microbiome?
0: If you go beyond 24 hours, fasting can harm the microbiome. And I think that one of the things about fasting that people need to understand is that it gets so hyped up and let's, let's cool it on the hype because hype is not science. Hype is marketing. And let's, so we have to cool it a little bit because People write like entire books about just fasting alone, and it sounds like a shortcut. There are no shortcuts. Small choices with consistency that are sustainable. That's how you build healthy habits. Healthy habits can become mindless. That's your shortcut. Creating a habit, doing it on repeat, small choices that you're doing on repeat to the point that you make it a habit, that's your shortcut. The shortcut is not trying to fast your way to whatever health goal you have. I'm just going to tell you right now, you make no changes to your diet, you make no changes to your sleep, you make no changes to your exercise, you don't deal with the stress that you have in your life or some of the relationships with others or even with yourself. If you don't address these other issues, and you go and you do some crazy fasting protocol for 24 hours a day, it's not going to help you You
1: need to
0: just add it with other stuff.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, final question before we get to that, uh, I just got to say how much I appreciate the exam roomies and everybody who tunes in here. Uh, Diane just posted in the chat that she is wearing your shirt, uh, Dr. B. Eat plants, take epic dumps. I mean, yes. that is just phenomenal. <laughs> Love it. It's awesome. I mean, yeah. Please go out in public and uh, and take some pictures and put those up on social media, please. Um, the final question of the day comes to us from Karen. Kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but I think it's it's a really important one nonetheless. Karen says, "If I eat a plant exclusive diet, how do I reduce fiber to help my stomach heal?"
0: Well, you don't need to go way out of your way to reduce fiber, but we mentioned some of the things that we've touched on during this episode, so you can pre digest the food to make it easier for your body to process. So, like. If you are raw vegan, you can you can cook your food. You can you know um, uh, do a soup and like that slow simmer, a soup or a stew, something of that variety. That slow cooking helps to pre-digest the food, make it more uh, make it easier for your body to handle. Smoothies are a way to make it easier for your body to handle. You can go low FODMAP, you can go low histamine. These are choices that can help you in your personal journey. Those are two of the protocols that exist in the Fiber Fields Cookbook. So the point from my perspective is you're not trying to axe out fiber, but you can make sensible adjustments in the choices that you make that will move you towards something that's a little bit more um, gentle in your gut microbiome.
1: There we go. That's all the time that we have for the questions today. Uh, but for the Fiber Fuel Cookbook talking an awful lot about it. We know it's coming out next month, but which day specifically next month?
0: it comes out May 17th. Um, it comes out May 17th. You can pre-order now, if that's something that interests you, you can wait until the book launches on May 17th to do it. I guess the only, uh, sort of thing that I would say is like, I am, I'm grateful for people who support me in any way, in any fashion, whether you buy the book, whether you don't buy the book, you know, I, I am grateful for the support that I receive. Um, I think one of the cool things of being an author, Chuck, is that like, I'm not asking for your dollars. I'm asking for your time and attention. That to me actually is far more valuable. And whether you buy my book or you don't buy my book, as long as you're not pirating it on eBay, like you go and get it borrowed. Seriously, if you go and you borrow it from your local library, I am as grateful to you as I am to anyone else, okay? But if you wanna pre-order the book, here's what I would say. There are bookshops that are emerging from this pandemic. They are owned by a mom and pop that are your neighbors. And you have a choice. You can handle, you can hand your dollars to a very rich person who runs an internet company, or you can hand your dollars to your neighbor that's hurting because of the pandemic. I say support your neighbors. Bye vocal.
1: You're a good man. You're an absolutely great individual and a, and a phenomenal human being, man. Um, and uh, Carly Bodrug, when she, she dropped Plant U, she did kind of the same thing. She encouraged people to do the mom and pop. And I, I need to go back and find the website that she used, but it's a website that was created Shop. that automatically Bookshop. directs Shop. people. What's yeah, that?
0: bookshop.org. If you go to bookshop.org, bookshop.org. So if you want to order from the convenience of your own home, I mean, I understand that everyone's going to go and drive a half hour to go buy a book. Um, If you want to order from the convenience of your home and you order it from bookshop.org, actually bookshop.org is helping to support. This is one of the, um, it's actually a not-for-profit designed to support these local bookshops and keep them afloat during the pandemic because they don't have browsing people. They don't have people walking in and out, you know, or at least they didn't until recently. So this website actually is one of the ways that you can do that, bookshop.org.
1: There it is. Bookshop.org. So if you're going to pre-order, that's the place to do it. See that Uh,
0: You just ordered on Amazon. Thank you, Hugh. Love you. (laughs) All
1: right. Yeah. So uh, more exciting news Uh, with the book coming out next month, details still to come, but we will be doing a Dr. B double dip uh, in celebration of the release of the Fiber Fueled Cookbook. So you're going to get not one, but two wacky shows full of Dr. B's fun and goodness and gut healing tips. So uh, I can't wait for that, my man. That's going to be a blast.
0: May 17th is book launch day. I'm spending book launch day here with the exam roomies. Meet me here. Mark your calendar if you want to. May 17th, we're having a party here in the exam room. And then I'm going to come back the following week on May 25th. So that basically any questions that you guys ask on May 17th that we don't get to, we will, Chuck and I are committed
1: to answering as many questions as we can. Absolutely. And, uh, I'm bringing, I'm going to turn the May 17th show into an avocado toast show. So what I would encourage all the roomies to do as well is make some avocado toast and have it for lunch. If you're on the East coast, have a little late breakfast or If You're on the West coast. And if you're over in Germany with all of the Bolsowitz clan, the the East, the Eastern European clan, uh, then go ahead and just have it for, I guess, what early dinner over there. Is that, Is that what that would be? So, yeah, well,
0: and we could, we I mean, heck, man, we could I could set up and we could potentially do it from the kitchen if you want to. You could potentially do the next one from the kitchen if you want to on May 17th. We could make avocado toast together if you want to.
1: Oh, Yeah,
0: or we could do another recipe from the book if you want to. I'm, I'm open to that.
1: We could do that. No, the crazy. avocado toast has been built up so much. I think that we need to do that. And if we can make that happen in the Bolshevich kitchen, we absolutely should. We definitely Absolutely.
0: can. I'll just see where my five-year-old, where his head is at and see if he wants to participate. But other than that, my little Spartan will figure right, out if, him.
1: if he's game, I will buy him a junior chef hat. That's what we'll do. Okay. So, that- <laughs> so all right, Dr. B, man, we will talk to you again next month. I appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you. I've got the details for that fiber-fueled cookbook double dip right here. So Dr. Bulsiewicz is going to be back here on the show the day that the fiber-fueled cookbook is released. That is May 17th. So that is a special Tuesday edition of The Exam Room Live. And then, here's your second scoop. He's going to be back the following Wednesday, our regular day, May 25th. Everything kicks off both days at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel and Facebook page. Would love for you to join us, hang out live, interact with the other exam roomies, and ask Dr. B your questions right then, right there. As always, we get to as many as we possibly can. But if you're not able to join us live and there's something that you're just dying to ask him, no problem. Send me your question ahead of time. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Chuck Carroll WLC. Also, I have some new research that I wanted to tell you about today. And for those details, let's head to the exam room news desk. There is another strike against one of America's most popular breakfast foods. And the news is not going over easy with egg lovers. A study of more than 27,000 people finds that eating eggs increases the risk of dying from heart disease. That data shows even eating just one egg per day can significantly increase that risk. And the risk, by the way, not just limited to heart disease either. The findings also reveal that eating one egg per day also increases the risk of dying from any cause. Researchers believe the high amount of cholesterol in eggs is to blame, and health experts say the findings back up previous guidelines to limit the amount of cholesterol in your diet. This latest study is published in the journal Circulation. And we do have a link to that study right now in the episode notes. Now, you might be saying, well, those findings seem redundant, and indeed they are, but they are important nonetheless, and I'll tell you why because still as we speak someone will die from cardiovascular disease every 36 seconds and when you add up the cost of heart disease every year in the u.s alone that's more than 360 billion dollars that is a whopping price tag for just an egg so you tell me is it worth it? And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Mr. FiberFuel, Dr. Will Bolsewitz, for being here and raising our health IQs. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always keep it plant-based.